Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back to share another Missing Monday for you all. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. You may notice that this episode doesn't list a name, but instead says missing from an island. Today's episode will be a little bit different than what I usually do for Missing Mondays. Today's episode will feature multiple missing people from the Hawaiian Islands. This episode also touches on some very sensitive subjects of mental health and suicide. Before I dive into details of these individuals, I want to talk about the fact that with a true crime podcast, we typically think of something sinister happening to these individuals. And while that's heavily what we focused on, some of these people that we've covered in the past, as well as in this episode, may have been suffering from some sort of mental illness or having a psychotic break. If you've been following our podcast for a while, You'll know that no matter what someone's story is, we will still share it. Oftentimes, these cases of someone with a mental illness or someone who struggles with addiction, these get overlooked. They get brushed aside, very little effort and attention gets put on these cases. But for us and for our listeners, they do matter. And it's still just as important to share their information because they deserve to be found. I also want to give a disclaimer here that this episode, as I said, is going to include the topic of suicide. Please be aware that if this is something that is triggering for you, just please go ahead and skip this episode. I also, before I get started, do want to include that if you or anyone you know are having thoughts of harming yourself or suicide, please reach out to help. I will have the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline linked in this episode. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is a national network of local crisis centers that provides free and confidential emotional support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress 24 hours a day, 7 days a week in the United States. The website that will be linked in the description is www.988lifeline.org. Know that you are not alone. You are loved, and this world would not be a better place without you. Please seek help if you are struggling. We would all rather listen to your struggles and your tough times than have to attend your funeral. Don't do it. We love you. I love you. And there are people and resources that are available for you. So without further ado, let's get into the stories of Robert Gallagher and Thomas Burrell. I also want to add really quick before we jump into the details of these cases is that we are having an extremely windy day here. No matter what room I go into, I can still hear the rustling sounds of my house from the wind. So if you hear anything in the background, 
please forgive me. I cannot control this crazy wind that we're having because I totally would if I could. Robert Gallagher, who went by the name of Robbie, grew up in San Diego, California, where he and his brother would eat, sleep, breathe the beach life. Whether they were out in the ocean swimming, they were body surfing or regular surfing, Robbie and his brother could be found at the beach any spare moment that they had. So when Robbie decided to move to the Hawaiian Islands, so when Robbie decided to move to the Hawaiian Islands, his family was not surprised by this decision that he was going to head there and pursue his life of doing exactly what he loved to do. Robbie's brother Brian told Dateline that he believed that their father is who paved the way for Robbie wanting to live in Hawaii because their father had lived there sometime in the late 70s, where, according to an NBC News article, he taught scuba diving and skippered on boats. Hawaii was a place that Robbie was very familiar with as well because all throughout his entire childhood, his family would frequently make trips there. And it was these trips that really made Robbie's dreams of someday moving there grow. He was just drawn to that ocean and beach life. And what better place to live that amazing life than in Hawaiian paradise? Given that Robbie grew up in the water and surfing, it should be no surprise that he was an extremely good surfer and swimmer. After graduating college with a degree in philosophy and business, Robbie landed himself a job in Oahu. And this job that he scored was for a business that his brother also worked for in Colorado. Robbie was very close with his family, and though he lived far away, he made sure to remain in contact with them during his time in Hawaii. His brother Brian said that they were very close and they would talk to each other weekly. Not only because they were co-workers for this company, but they also would talk on the phone about surfing, life, and everything in between. When Robbie's father suddenly passed away in 2016, that is when he finally packed his bags and moved back to California. Moving back to California, he tried to make the best of it. He tried to make the best that it could be, but with the death of his father... That really took a toll on Robbie. He certainly took the loss of his father very hard, as did everyone in the entire family, but Robbie took it the hardest. His mother Kathy told Dateline that she didn't think that he was ever the same after that loss. This move from Hawaii back to San Diego was so that Robbie could help and really be there for his mom, but slowly it seemed like he was getting more and more down. Which I can understand. The loss of his father took Robbie away from his happy place in Hawaii. And the loss of not only his father, but the place he lived and loved so much, I can imagine that would be tough to deal with. I can imagine that would wear on someone after living and enjoying somewhere else for so long, only to be brought back to where you grew up. After a while, Robbie told his mom that he couldn't take living in San Diego any longer. That he needed to go back to Hawaii. And so he moved back. And I'm not sure exactly what year that Robbie moved back to Hawaii, but I do know that it was before the pandemic broke out in 2020. Because in September 2020, just a few months into the pandemic, Robbie's family began to see an even bigger shift in his mental health, despite him being back in his happy place of Hawaii. 
His brother Brian tells Dateline that he believes that the isolation really got to Robbie and that for a while he couldn't even go out to body surf and he thinks it really messed with Robbie's mind. We saw a major rise in mental health struggles during the pandemic, especially those first months when we all were locked inside of our homes, unable to really leave. Places were closed down to do fun recreational things that we love, and it really took a toll on so many Americans and others across the globe. And for someone like Robbie, who eats, sleeps, breathes the beach life— This sounds like it would be really hard to be locked in your own home and away from the beach that he loved so much. And I'm assuming because his brother said that he couldn't even body surf that the beaches were closed down for visitors. With this shift in Robbie's attitude, his family fought hard to get him to come back to San Diego, but he refused. He told his family that the ocean was his therapy and that all he wanted to do was get back to surfing. October 31st, 2020 was the last time that Kathy had spoke to her son on the telephone. There wasn't any information that I could find about the last phone call, so I'm unsure of how exactly he sounded during this time. And as I stated earlier, while living away from San Diego, Robbie made sure to call his family several times a week to check in with them and to check in with his mom, especially after the passing of his father. Kathy was surprised to find that the phone calls stopped, and when she tried to call Robbie herself, she was unable to reach him. When they were unable to reach him, after a few days, they knew that something wasn't right and that they needed to get to Hawaii ASAP. But if you guys remember, at the height of the pandemic, traveling was tough, and places like Hawaii were very strict on their COVID protocols. It was because of this that Brian in Colorado and Kathy in San Diego had a tough time getting to Hawaii immediately. They had to wait for their COVID testing to come back negative, and at that time, rapid testing wasn't quite a thing yet. But finally, after several agonizing days of waiting, Kathy was cleared to travel to Hawaii, and she caught a flight out of San Diego on November 9th, 2020. When she arrived in Hawaii, she began searching for her son and calling places and asking the police. She quickly learned that Robbie was last seen acting irrationally and that the local police stopped to offer him some help. The police had asked Robbie if he wanted a ride to the hospital, and he said yes. With this information, Kathy was hopeful that her son had just been admitted into the hospital and that she would find him there. But what she found out was that on that day, which was November 2nd, 2020, that he was transported to the Kahuku Medical Center on Oahu's North Shore. But before Robbie could be treated, he left the facility. A few hours after he left the hospital, a woman spotted a man trying to open a door to a house that was located near that medical center. I guess while trying to enter this house, Robbie had dropped his body surfing fins, and these were later confirmed to have been his by his family. Kathy then went to the house that Robbie had shared with some roommates, and they all told her that they hadn't seen him or heard from him in days. 
They had no idea where he was, and upon entering his room, it appeared that all of his belongings were there inside the room. So it didn't seem like he had packed up anything to go anywhere, and if he had left to go somewhere, it was only with the clothing he had on. For days, Brian tried to call his brother's cell phone, and the calls always went unanswered. Until one day, someone picked up the phone. This gave a rush of adrenaline and of hope to Brian, but that hope was quickly squashed when the person on the other end wasn't Robbie. And even worse, this was a random stranger that had found the phone on the side of the road in Wahiwa, which is about 20 miles from the medical center that Robbie had been transported to. Apparently, this random person found the phone, took it home, and charged it. This person kindly gave the phone to Robbie's family, but unfortunately, there wasn't a single clue on it to help them locate Robbie. While in Hawaii, Kathy filed a missing persons report with the Honolulu Police Department, and it wasn't long that tips started to come in of possible sightings of Robbie. Kathy told Dateline, quote, People have said that they've seen him in Waikiki. On the west side, on the north side, on the east side, south side, it's very difficult. I went all over the island, and people say the island is small, and not to me. It's huge, end quote. In the beginning of the search for Robbie, there was tons of tips that would flood in of these potential sightings. And since then, they've dwindled down. But there are people that are still dedicated to searching for him. There are people that are still keeping their eyes peeled anytime that they're out in public. And this past November marked two years since 31-year-old Robbie Gallagher went missing. Authorities believe that it is a possibility that Robbie could be in a different state, but I feel like he never left that island, but that's just my opinion. Kathy and her other son, Brian, have made more than a handful of trips to Hawaii searching for Robbie. Since Robbie's disappearance, Brian has now moved back to San Diego to be close to his mom. The family has created a Facebook group, which will be linked in the description of this episode. The group is called Missing Person in Oahu, Robbie Gallagher. I went and joined the group myself, and I was impressed with the number of people who are still posting videos or pictures of potential sightings over this past year. There was one that seemed very promising. In November of 2021, the poster had posted a picture of Robbie next to a picture of a man that had been seen out in public. The two had a very uncanny resemblance, but Kathy commented on there that it wasn't her son. The family doesn't know whether Robbie is still alive or not, but they're remaining hopeful that he is and that he is out there somewhere suffering from some sort of mental illness. His family is also very thankful for the continued love and outpouring of support that they've received. Robbie is described as being six foot one and weighs around 170 pounds. He has dark, dirty blonde hair and blue eyes. Robbie may have a beard and longer hair. If you or anyone you know has information on Robbie's whereabouts, you can call Crime Stoppers at 808 955 8300. Tips can also be sent in anonymously at www.honoluluCrimestoppers.org. Of course, I will have pictures of Robbie available on our social media as well as in our Facebook group, so make sure you join. 
So this next case of Thomas Burrell was very limited on information, unfortunately. And there was an incredible podcast done on him by the Missing in Hawaii podcast. Several of the links in their sources no longer worked, so I couldn't follow up to confirm this information that was given in this podcast. And as I said, the information that is out there is very, very sparse. So we are going to do what we can with the most accurate information that is out there, even if it is limited. Thomas Burrell was 29 years old at the time of his disappearance on January 12, 2019. From the outside looking in, it appeared that Thomas had it all. He was a successful captain in the Army, working as a doctor, and was a second-year resident in psychiatry at Tripler Army Medical Center. Thomas and his wife had been married for a few years by this point, and just a few weeks before he went missing, the couple welcomed their first baby, which was a baby boy. It was said that on the day that he went missing, Thomas appeared to be in emotional distress, and it was mentioned in that podcast episode that it was reported that Thomas had been self-medicating with alcohol. Thomas was last seen leaving his Fort Shafter, Hawaii residence around 9 a.m. on Saturday, January 12, 2019. When he was reported missing, the authorities were unsure where to begin looking. Thomas was one to typically be either at work at Tripler Army Medical Center or at home with his wife and their newborn baby. A week after his disappearance, his white BMW was found abandoned on a dead-end street not far from his home. Inside the car, however, they did not locate his backpack, phone, and his car keys that he was said to have taken with him when he left the home on that morning. The location where his car was found was located near a hiking trailhead called Radar Hill. It was reported that inside the car, they also found receipts for items that could be used to take his life. They began searching in and around this hiking trail with multiple canine teams, military officials, and the Honolulu Police Department, as well as helicopters. But there was no sign of Dr. Burrell. They also found that his cell phone had been turned off since the day that he went missing. As I said, I really don't want to get too far into the details given by that podcast because I couldn't positively confirm the information that she gave. I will link it, however, in the description of this episode so you can give it a listen if you want to because I do feel that it was a very well-done podcast. But I do want to take a moment to discuss the fact that his family noticed that some changes in him were happening and that his father even stated that he was under a lot of stress. One thing that isn't talked about enough is something called vicarious trauma, or it can be called empathic strain, compassion fatigue, secondary trauma, and burnout. This is something that I had to learn about in my senior year of college while I was studying criminology and criminal justice. And I think it's worth mentioning and kind of educating you guys on it because some of you actually might be experiencing this and not realizing it. So we often hear about trauma that people go through. We understand how that is traumatic for that person to experience it, such as child sexual assault or a child who is forced to do things on camera for internet perverts. But what we don't think about is as a community, 
There are people who then bust these people for these crimes. And this is just one example of the many that are out there. But but what we don't think about is the fact that there are officers who are dedicated to teams that then have to go and review that content, that footage, those hours upon hours of sexually explicit content of children. These people are forced to watch it. We don't think about what that exposure can do to them. It can get to them mentally and cause a person to completely break down. And again, that is just one example among a million that are out there. If you think about it, people who are first responders are exposed to a lot of secondary trauma. They see, hear, and know a lot of bad things. That's the same for lawyers who are working on cases where they are exposed to all of that. Any kind of child crime that they bust someone for on the internet, those lawyers on both sides of the field are exposed to then seeing that content because that they have to represent it or defend it in court. And that is the same for mental health professionals as well. Dr. Thomas Burrell was working as a psychiatrist at the Army Medical Facility. This is a job that has a very, very heavy workload, and it's not only heavy on the amount of patients, but it's also heavy on the mental side of things. This is mentally heavy for someone to work in this field. Not only in this field, but if you think about it, he was working for the Army, which means that he is exposed to people who have seen heard, been a part of some very serious things. They have been exposed to that trauma overseas, PTSD that we all hear about. I kept the book that I was required to read for my class on this, and I will link it in the description of this episode because I think it could be something that others should read and could read and and would find interesting. Whether you're in the criminal justice world or any other field of help, I think it's important to read this. One thing that I highlighted in the book was this quote, quote, generally speaking, a trauma exposure response may be defined as the transformation that takes place within us as a result of exposure to the suffering of other living beings or the planet, end quote. I think it's a very good possibility that Dr. Burrell was experiencing secondary trauma from his exposure from the work that he was doing. This is often something that is hard for individuals to recognize and admit that they need help. And without knowing what trauma stewardship is and how to recognize these flags in our lives, it's hard to get help. The book that I keep referencing is called Trauma Stewardship, an everyday guide to caring for self while caring for others. It was written by Laura Van Dernut Lipsky with the help of Connie Burke. And I do hope I pronounced the name Dernut properly. And if I didn't, please forgive me. Again, I will link this book in the description of this episode because I think it's a great read. And it also helps you get a better understanding of what secondary or secondary post-traumatic stress disorder is and looks like. As I said at the beginning of this episode, sometimes these cases that involve mental health issues with a missing person gets brushed aside. I feel like the lack of solid information out there on this case is due to the fact that Dr. Burrell was likely struggling with his mental health, that it seems like people have commented about out in the public that this was the issue within this case. 
I find that completely unfortunate because this man has a wife, this man has a son, and he has an entire family that loves him. The search for him should be just as active as it would be for anyone else. Just because you have mental health struggles, just because you have thoughts of harming yourself does not mean that you are unworthy to be found if you go missing. At the time of his disappearance on January 12th, 2019, he was 29 years old. Thomas stands at six foot one and weighs 200 pounds. He was last seen wearing running clothes, black sneakers, and a black backpack. He was driving a white 2013 BMW 128i, which has been recovered. He's a white male with brown hair, blue eyes, and goes by the nickname of Tom. If you have any kind of information on his whereabouts or what happened to him, you can call the Honolulu Crime Stoppers at 808-955-8300. I just want to reiterate that if you or anyone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek help. This world is better because you're in it, whether you know it or not. Please call the 988 hotline for immediate help or check the episode description for more resources. You are loved and you matter. Crimeaholics is unfortunately all of the limited information that I have on Thomas Burrell and Robbie Gallagher. Please make sure you're a part of our private Facebook group by joining Crimeaholics podcast discussion group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. Make sure you also follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast, and if you want more true crime content, you can follow me at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast on TikTok. Lastly, if you want to follow myself personally, you can find me on Instagram and keep up with all the things that I'm doing at crimeaholic. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. I will be back on Friday with another murder case for you all. But until then, be aware and take care.